So we're looking at a time in the Old Testament when um, they took up a, a significant gift day for the work that was going on in the country, the work towards God was doing. And we're going to see, as we look at building for the future, then and now looking at some of the comparisons between them and differences between us and them. And we're going to talk about how they needed courage. I don't know, I'm just flicking through my Bible, hoping it'll appear like it's moved. Um, they needed courage then. They needed, uh, they needed courage. We're going to look at the courage, the cost, and the calling. 1 Chronicles, we'll start in chapter 28, verse 20, and we're going to move through to 29. It's a bit of a lengthy reading, but that's okay. It's a story, so hopefully there'll be enough in there that you can grab and grasp straight away, and we'll see how we get on. Right. Then David who was the king at the time, said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. And behold, the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God are with you. In all the work will be every willing man who's able, who has skill for any kind of service. Also, the officers and all the people will be holy at your command. So David speaks to his son, gives him some final instructions before he dies, talking about the building of the temple. And then chapter 29, And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but will be for the Lord God. So I've provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood. Besides great quantity of onyx and stones for setting antimony, coloured stones, all sorts of precious stones and marbles. In other words, from the royal treasury, I'm giving everything that I think I can towards this project. Moreover, in addition to all that, I have provided from, for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own, of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, a talents equivalent to 34 kilograms, 3,000 times 34 kilograms of gold, of the gold of the Ophir and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. For who, who then will, will offer willingly, consecrating himself to the Lord? Then the leaders of fathers' houses made their freewill offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers of the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord." in the care of Jehul the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. 
Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honour come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able Thus to offer willingly. For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and exiles as our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there's no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. So the context of this story, the context of this story is that it was written several hundred years after this moment, written by an unknown author, this is called The Chronicler. And he's writing while his friends and family, his countrymen, are living in exile. The people of God in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel chosen by God, because of their disobedience to God, were captured by foreign invaders who took them captive to their land. Writing from that land, the chronicler is looking back over their history and drawing out stories for encouragement and hope. He's casting a vision to them, a vision of who they are and of what they need in order to bear up under this oppression. And in this story, there's several similarities and differences between us that we're going to look at. But in this story, we see that he's urging them then, saying that they needed it then and we need it now. He's saying they needed courage. There was a cost required and there was a calling on them that David reminded them of. And that's what we're going to look at. The courage, the cost, the calling. Three similarities and then one difference at the end. The first thing that is a similarity between them and us with our situation, what we're going through as a church, is that they needed courage to do, to face the things that God had for them. Solomon was about to take charge of this people. He was a young man. He was inexperienced and he was given a humongous task to accomplish, to achieve. The building of a temple, but more than a temple or a building, it was historically the place where God dwelt on the earth. Before Jesus, before the Holy Spirit came, the people of Israel believed that God lived in His holy house in the temple. And Solomon, a young man, an inexperienced man, was being charged with this, build a home for God. It was a massive task. And that's why David says to him, be strong and courageous. In verse 20, and do it. He says, do not be terrified, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God, even my God, is with you. Why does he say these particular words to his son? Well, firstly, he acknowledges the challenges before them. There are legitimate reasons for them as a nation to be apprehensive or anxious or fearful. He's not like a politician, just spinning things. Oh, there's no real problem here. There's nothing really to be worried about. I'm just going to leave the biggest project we've ever had as a country to an inexperienced youth. But there's no real problem. Of course, we were always hoping we'd do a deal with the, um, the Northern Irish. Of course, don't worry. He's not spinning it. He's acknowledging the challenges. But then he also recalls their past in these words. 
If I was to say the words, we shall fight them on the beaches. Or if I was to say the words, I have a dream. As words themselves, they hark back to speeches. They remind us of a history, whether Winston Churchill's speech during the Second World War or Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech during the civil rights movement in America. They're words that have historic power to remind us of particular moments. It's the same here. David says to Solomon, be strong and courageous. And in so doing, reminds the people of words that have been spoken in the past. A long, long time ago, when Moses led the people out of Egypt, he then entrusted his successor, Joshua, to complete the task of taking the land for God and giving his people a home to dwell in. And he charged him with these words, be strong and courageous. God then speaks to Joshua as he's about to enter the land and says again, be strong and courageous. Joshua then says to the soldiers later on in the story, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid. And three times in the book of the Chronicles, the writer has these words mapped together. Twice, David says to Solomon, these words, be strong and courageous. And then later in two Chronicles, Hezekiah, the king, is going to be surrounded by a foreign army. And again, he's going to say to the people, be strong and courageous. There are words that mean something to them. To a people living in exile, afraid and uncertain about their future. He speaks words that strike to the heart of them. He reminds them with these words. God has been faithful in the past and God is with us now. And we have reason to hope for the future. So with those words, he charges them with a need for courage. And there's a need for courage, not just for them, but for us. The Christian life is a life that requires courage. The Oxford academic, Alistair, McEnt Alistair McGrath, he, he says in one of his books that Western civilization is going through a phase, he calls it, a phase where it is particularly hostile towards Christian faith. As a result, to be a Christian requires courage. To face the ridicule of your family, the ridicule of those at work or your friends at school requires courage to say, I'm a Christian. In many parts of the world, of course, where to go to church, you have an armed guard outside because there's legitimate threats made against your life. For us, we haven't reached that stage yet, but there is nonetheless a need for courage. There's the need for courage to witness about your faith, to tell people about Jesus, to go beyond just being a polite, friendly person and kind of being lovely to go to, no, you need to hear this message about a God who loves you and forgives you. It requires courage to... Pray out loud with your friends if that's something you're nervous about. It requires courage to hold the line on some traditional Christian beliefs. I love it as we sing that song uh, where we say, I believe in God the Father. Every time I sing that, it just instills courage in me, reminds me of the need to keep believing, keep hoping. We're singing words that hark back to the fourth century AD where the churches got together and agreed, this is what we believe. And ever since then, Christians have been saying or singing I don't think John was leading worship back there at the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century AD. But still, the same message is there. It was relevant then as is now. The need for courage. This is who God is. We need to hold this line. And it requires courage for us to give financially towards projects, towards things that we as a church feel like we're going for something. I remember the first time 
I gave financially to an offering at a, I was at a youth conference. I was a student, didn't have much money. Uh, in fact, all my money was basically the banks. So I basically gave the banks money. <laughs> I was in my overdraft. But I remember giving financially for the first time the fear that I felt. A friend convinced me it'd be a good idea to put 50 quid into an offering. And at the time, there was a huge amount of money for me or for the bank. But I remember the fear that I felt in putting that money into the offering, thinking, I can't buy that Xbox game. Or what if I don't have enough for this? Or what if I can't? What if I? It requires courage to give. And to be honest, every time an offering comes around or we go for something as a church and I feel God say, come on, give. There's a fear in me about that. Requires courage to give. We were told with the Crossway Methodist building. So years ago when I said, let's go for this building. I feel like God said we could have it. All along the way, we've had people saying, you can't do it. You're far too small as a church. You're far too young. You don't have, I don't know, what you need to take it as a church. It costs too much money for you. But we're going to go for it anyway. Because we believe God has spoken. And we want to do things that require courage. To be a Christian requires courage. Jesus, when he calls a person to follow him, he bids them come and die to lay their life down for him. I was talking to some friends recently who said that when they signed up for a mission organisation, before being sent on mission, they had to uh, arrange for their funeral or the, the order of service or the plans for their funeral. They had to agree where they were going to be buried or cremated as part of the practice of being sent as a missionary. Now, in a sense, that ought to be true for every Christian. Because we're, we're laying down our lives in service of him, whatever he wants. We're following him. Jesus said, the world hated me. If you follow me, it'll hate you as well. Jesus says, you will be thrown out of communities. You'll be disliked and disowned because of me. He said, I've come to turn some fathers against their sons and sons against fathers. Anyone who, in one instance, a man comes to Jesus and says, before I follow you, I do want to follow you, but before I do, can I just bury my father who's dying? And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Anyone who puts their hand to the plough and looks back is not worthy of me, he says. It requires courage. It requires guts to be a Christian, to decide for Jesus. The word decide actually comes from the root word to kill or to cut off. So we talk about pesticides to kill pests, or patricide, to kill your father. To decide is to cut off, is to kill, is to make a decision. The Christian is one who says, I've decided for Christ. I'm following him. And that requires courage. The first bishop of Liverpool, a man named J.C. Ryle, he said, true Christianity is a fight. There's a vast quantity of religion current in the world which is not true, genuine Christianity. It passes muster. It satisfies sleepy consciences, but it is not good money. Or Ernest Shackleton, the Antarctic explorer, when he was trying to raise a group of people to join him on an expedition across the Antarctic, legend has it that he put an advert in the Times newspaper that read, Men Wanted for a Hazardous Journey Low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful, honour and recognition in event of success. He had hundreds of people sign up, hundreds of people apply for this. Because there's something in the heart of us that wants to be on an adventure, that wants to throw our lives down in an act of daring and courage. And in the Christian life, 
We need to look for that individually. If I go do the nuts challenge or tough mud, or if I go do this, if I spend my life in that cause or for that army, then it will be worth it. In the Christian, we're not having to throw our lives away individually, but we're having to throw our lot in corporately. Say together, this is where great acts of courage can be done. Not as mavericks or as lone wolves, but as a family and as a body. We can do this. Courage is needed then. As we build for the future as a church, when the purchase of Crossway is behind us, we will always need courage. At least I hope we will. If we're looking for a comfortable church or a Christian experience that won't challenge us, if we're looking to just be part of a community that just makes us feel better and pats us on the back but doesn't challenge us, there are plenty of other churches, but I'm hoping that this church will always be a church that says we're here to be challenged. We're here to challenge one another. We're here to grow in God. We're here to spur one another on to acts of daring and courage. I was reading the history of the Crossway building that we're wanting to buy. I was reading the history of it recently, hoping that I could find some preacher's gold to say they built it for the cause of this and we're going to do this. And I was reading it. In 1894, they built this building because a number of Methodist Christians were going on holiday to Seaford from time to time, so they wanted a church they could go to when they're on holiday. That's not why we're taking on Crossway, just to help people have a nice holiday. We're taking Crossway, we're buying Crossway to serve and love the people of this town, to tell them about the God who loves them. It requires guts and courage to do that. Now, nine years later, the church had grown so much that they needed to buy, build a separate hall off the back. So in 1903, they built a massive extension. So God was with them. But as a church, we must overcome fear, fear of uncertainty, fear of our future. Fear is potent and pervasive, and it will fill the nooks and crannies of our lives like water filling a mould if we allow it, if we don't take a stand against it. And in David's words to his son, doesn't just tell him, be strong and courageous. He tells him, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid. It is a choice then to not give in to fear. As Bear Grylls would say, when you sense fear getting a grip on you, there's only one answer to it. And that's to go straight through the eyes of fear and out the other side, which I like because I like Bear Grylls. Although it's not that easy to go through fear. Sounds good. And when we don't go through fear, when we give in to fear, we live regretting it. Just as a, as a, as a small example of that, a few months ago, I went with my family to a, some family event and there was a, a rock climbing tower there. And I'm scared of heights, but I like Bear grills. So I thought when you feel fear, go straight through the eyes of fear. So I signed up for this rock climbing and I climbed it and I got, you know, about this high and um, a little bit higher. And suddenly fear took a grip on me. And I was standing high up this tower. Fear said, just let go and get back to the floor where you're safe. And I had bare grills in me saying, when you feel fear, you do only one thing for it. Go straight through the eyes of fear. And so I just let go and went back down to the floor. And thought, well, that's me done. Because I don't want to go through fear. It's a silly thing. But months on, I look back at that moment and think, why did I quit? Why did I fail? I hate living with a sense of giving in to fear and failure, even in something like that. But the promise that David gives to Solomon isn't, do not be afraid because you'll succeed. Come on, you're a champion. You're a precious snowflake, my boy. If anyone can do it, you can, my little prince. He doesn't. Instead, he says to him, God is with you. 
God is with you. And Jesus, when he gets his disciples together at the end of the New Testament, he says, go into all the world. Imagine there's like 12 of them, a few more. And he says, I've got this mission, I've got this plan. You're going to go take the world for me. I'm off, by the way, to be with my Father in heaven. But you Christians, only a few of you, most of you are quite cowardly, but you're going to go take the world. And they thought, well, we can't do that. He says, but when you go, I will be with you, even to the end of the age. And at the end of the New Testament, there's another letter where the writer says again, God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You can go through fear, not because you're guaranteed success, but because you're guaranteed that he's with you. So then in the story, they needed the courage was required. And so it is for us. Courage is needed. Well, let's look at the cost then. Let's go to the next slide, Luke. Oh no, back. Where are you going? No, where are we going? Keep going through the reading, mate. There should be another one. Just has the titles. So there was the courage that was needed. And then we talk about the cost. Ah, he says, the cost that was required. In chapter 29, verses 1 to 9, we give a list. And David lists all the stuff that he gave from his own treasury, all the stuff that he gave for his own pocket individually. Then the leaders gave. Then the officers gave. Those who were in authority in the land gave. Leaders are leaders because they lead. And this is as true in giving as it is in anything else. But what can we see from these few verses? A few things about giving and the way they approach this offering towards the temple. The first is that giving is planned. Giving is planned. David says, so far as I was able to, I gave. He'd sat down, he'd counted the cost, he'd worked out what he could give, and then he gave towards it. I don't know if you're familiar with that practice. When, there's, when something grips your heart, you think, I want to give to that. Do you sit down? Do you plan? It's different from what we're used to. As a society, we're used to giving to things when they move us emotionally. And often we just give in a moment. If I'm honest, I give most of the time. In other circumstances, I give out of guilt because I'm watching children in need and they tug at my heartstrings. And I think, if I don't give, what kind of a person am I? So I'll pick up the phone and I'll give them a fiver or something. Or if a friend comes up to me and says, I'm, I'm running the marathon, will you sponsor me? I'll give out of obligation. But often in society, we give, motivated by those things. This is different. David sat down and he planned. Now last, back in October, we took up a pledge day as a church, where a number of us said, I'm going to pledge towards the purchase of Crossway. You know, pr- you know, I'm going to promise to give this much. We planned. We're not going to be checking up on pledges. If you can't fulfill your pledge, it's okay. I'm not going to be knocking on doors or sending out letters saying, have you given? This is between us and God. It's about us together achieving something. It's what we corporately can give towards making something a reality. But the point is that in this story, we see that giving was planned. The next thing we see is that the giving is extravagant. All these talents of gold adds up to 270 tons of gold. They were giving extravagantly. But again, not because they saw a a motivational video and some kids really needing their money. They gave extravagantly because God is an extravagant God and they saw he's worthy of our extravagance. The next thing is the giving was for others. David gave generously, knowing that he himself would never see the completion of this building. God had told him, you won't be the one to build this temple, your son will. David was a man of war, a fighter. So God said, you're not going to build the temple. It's not right. Your son is. So David gave 
towards the building of something that he would never see himself. The final thing is that the giving was done by all of them. The leaders, but the citizens alike came together. What about us? As we build for the future, our hope is that it's the same for us. That our giving can be planned. Our giving can be extravagant. Our giving is for others. We're here for those who aren't yet part of us. We're here to serve people. When they bought the King Centre in Eastbourne, they gave enough money for two chairs, one for themselves and one for someone who wasn't there yet. It's the same for us. And our giving is for all of us. We're all in this. We all get to play. Whether you're able to give a lot or a little, I'd love everybody to contribute and to give to this if they feel able because this is a story that includes the whole family of the church here. We believe, don't we, that giving isn't so much about the amount of money a person gives, but the heart that it comes from or the percentage that is given. Jesus talks about the the widow who gave a mite, just a tiny coin, and says she's given more than anybody else because she gave everything that she has. We're talking to the kids in the groups down there and just saying, you know, we want you to get caught up with what we're doing. Come and find some money down your parents' sofa. Uh, I don't know. Come and rob some money off your mum and dad and put it in the bucket in a few weeks' time because we want you to feel like this is a family. We're doing this together. And God is always worthy of extravagant devotion. So we're hoping again that our giving will be extravagant. One thing's clear is that costly sacrifice is unforgettable. We read this story. The chronicler knew this story. Hundreds of years later, could write it down and remind the people, look at the giving that these people gave towards the making happen of what God was doing. Sacrificial giving has potent power to influence and inspire other people. When Jesus was at a feast, some woman came in and, and smashed some expensive perfume on the floor and bathed his feet to prepare his body for burial. Jesus said, this woman's extravagant devotion will be talked about ever, ever, forever after this day. Ever since this day, people have talked about that woman, her extravagant devotion. We mentioned in the video the giving that the members of the church back in Eastbourne gave towards the building and the purchase of the centre. Their extravagant, costly, sacrificial giving left a legacy that we're sitting in and standing in and living in the good of. And Solomon himself, he's about to live and reign in the legacy of his father and what his father's given for him. We live in the legacy as well of the one who gave it all. Jesus himself, who laid his life down on the cross. In his devotion to his Father, he gave up everything he had in order to make our relationship with God, our freedom in God, possible. Jesus, as a leader, never asks anyone to do anything that he himself has not done or is not willing to do himself. So we see the call, we see the courage that's required, the cost on them, And finally, the calling that David reminds them of, the calling on them. In chapter 29, verses 12 to 16, he says this, God has both riches and honour. They come from you and you, can we go to the next slide and follow along? You rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? For all things come from you and are your own. 
and of your own we have given to you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners or wanderers as our fathers were all our days on sorry, our days on earth are nothing but a shadow and there is no abiding. David paints for them a picture of perspective. He says, on the one hand, God rules over all. All riches and honour are his. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to our God. He doesn't need anything. On the other hand, we were former slaves, the nation of Israel, former slaves. We're just human beings who have no permanent place on the earth. And then standing, living life in the in-between of these two things. He reminds them of their privilege. And he reminds them of what they've been called to, to display God's goodness to the world. And as we build for the future as a church, this is our pattern too. Everything in the world belongs to God. He has the rights to it all. We are temporary on the earth. We don't leave eternal legacies like that. God is in charge. We are sinners. We make mistakes. We get things wrong. And yet we live in this position of being able to represent God and bless people on God's behalf, to serve God, to love God, to know God, to tell people about God. We live in between those two. We're not God. We are this. But here we live as the people loved and chosen by God. And everything we have has been given to us by God. We get to decide how much to keep, how much to give. And this can be hard for us. We can forget that it belongs to him. Every week as a family, my kids, they, um, they do things to earn minutes so that on Saturdays they can uh, cash in their minutes to play on my phone where I've got some games. So during the week, if they do good things, we reward them, say, oh, well done, that, that deserves five minutes for, for the Saturday where you get your time on the game. And they love that. They build up their money, minutes during the week. And then on Saturday, I give them my phone and say, here you go, I've set the timer, it's over to you. Now from time to time, they'll be playing on their phone and I'll say, oh, Boys, can I just borrow my phone? I just need to do something. And they respond, no, it's mine. In my time, I get to play on the phone. To which I then have to say, ah, it, it does belong to me. <laughs> you know, you're, you're just looking after it. Give it back, give it back. And then it ends in tears, normally me, and off I go running and crying to mummy. In fact, that reminds me, um, I could do with 100 pounds right now. Does anybody have 100 quid I can have right now? Oh, Matt, you've got £100. Can I have that? Thanks. That's very kind. 20, 40, 60, 70, 80. No, it's 100 quid. Thank you very much. I'm um, just going to take Amy out for a drink later. A drink? Dinner. Everything we have has been given to us by God, and we have the privilege of participating in His plans on the earth. By the way, this money was mine. I gave it to Matt and I said, I'm going to ask for that at some, po some point. Can you give it to me? To make the How hard was that for you to give me? It was easy. Not very difficult at all. Why? Because he knew it's not really mine. It's his. I get to use it in service of Jez. What a privilege. I get to be an illustration in a message. The point is everything we have is his. We get to decide what to keep. That's the privilege we've got. But from time to time, things come about where God says, hey, guys, why don't you use what I've given you to do this? And David sees in that the privilege. He says, who am I? Who are we that we get to use our money for this? We get to use our stuff for this. 
It's difficult for us because we're more like the kids who are grabbers and say, it's mine. I, look, I need this for fun, for security, for life, for health. I need it. And God says, no, I'm the source of security and life. You get to use this to learn that you can trust me. That's really what money's about. We have the privilege of, of being hobbits, being involved in rescuing Middle Earth. It's the privilege of Ron Weasley getting to partner with Harry Potter to destroy evil. We're just bit part players and we get to join him in these amazing adventures. And David's statement for us as well reminds us that the gospel is the end of entitlement. We're an entitled people, not just Westerners, but human beings. We think we deserve, we grab me, my rights, my future, my kindness. Look at me, me, me. I deserve health and happiness and a long life. I deserve it, God. David's attitude is, who am I? And what are my people that we should be able to do this willingly? See, we are the church. We're God's people. Now we get to be the people of God, in the way that we live, in the way that we use our resources, in the way that we greet people, in the way that we love people, in the way that we lay our lives down for one another. When I became a dad, Amy had Riley, and um, the midwife passed the baby to me and said what midwives do, there you go, dad. At that moment, I thought, you talking to me? There you go, dad. At that moment, I was a dad. I needed to now learn how to be a dad. And to be a dad requires courage, requires cost. And it requires a reminder regularly of my calling to be this, son, this child's father, to be a representative of God to him. Good luck. It's the same for us. You are a child of God. You are a saint. You are an ambassador of God. You're a witness of the resurrection. You are loved by the Father. Now, be those things. And it requires courage, cost, and a reminder of our calling. When Crossway was first opened in 1894, one of the first few sermons ever preached in that building came from Paul's letter to the Colossians. And in chapter 3, verse 17, they pre this was their passage. It was printed in the newspaper. That's what they did back then. They preached a sermon. They put it in the newspaper. Whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. hundred years ago, over a hundred years ago, 1894, they preached that same message. We're standing here saying, whatever we do, in word or deed, we're going to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we build for the future, there are similarities between us and David's day. We need the same courage that they did. We need to, it requires the same cost that they paid. It requires a reminder of the courage, or the calling on us. But there's a difference. The difference is that we're not giving towards a temple. We're not giving towards a dwelling place of God in the town. Because Jesus has already given that and has already built the temple of God. When Jesus laid his life down, one of the things that he said he was doing, he said, kill me and I'm destroying this temple, pointing to the physical one. Destroy this temple and I will raise it up. God will raise it up again three days later. 
When Jesus rose to new life, he sent the Holy Spirit into the world who's come now to live in the lives of men and women like you and me, Christians. That the dwelling place of God on the earth is no longer in a building, it's in us. You are the temple of God. Us together, we are the temple of God. We're trying to buy a building that is a house, home for us to live in. It's not the dwelling place of God on the earth. That's already been decided. It's already been agreed. The plans have already been laid because of what Jesus done. He's paid the highest price. He did the most daring and risky and courageous act ever needed to be done in the history of the world, laying his life down and experiencing a separation from God in order that he might bring you and me home to God. He paid the highest cost necessary so that what we do is we just give back to God what was already his, but Jesus gave everything he had so that we could have this high calling over us. Whatever we do now, we can do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's what we're giving to. In two weeks' time, church, that's our opportunity as we look to build towards the future of this town. And we pray for us. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being loved by you and of having the opportunity to partner with you to use what you've given me towards the furthering of your kingdom. God, we pray that you would, God, soften our hearts, help us to plan, help us to consider what you've given us, help us to give everything that we've got faith for towards the furthering of your work in this town. Lord, we want many people to come to know you. Lord, we know that we're living in an age where our society is going through this phase where it's hostile to you hostile towards Christian faith. But God, even in that stage, we're going to stand up and say, nevertheless, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. We're going to trust God. We're going to look to Him to provide everything that we need. Father, we anticipate all that you've done, all that you're about to do. And we celebrate, God, your goodness to us. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand together, just respond in song to what we've been hearing.